0: Welcome to FEPs Talks, the podcast series of the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Find out more about us on feps-europe.eu. By gathering in Beijing, we are focusing world attention on issues that matter most in our lives, the lives of women and their families. I believe that now, on the eve of a new millennium, It is time to break the silence. It is time for us to say here in Beijing and for the world to hear that it is no longer acceptable to discuss women's rights as separate from human rights. violation of human rights when a leading cause of death worldwide among women ages 14 to 44 is the violence they are subjected to in their own homes by their own relatives it is a violation of human rights when young girls are brutalized by the painful and degrading practice of genital mutilation It is a violation of human rights when women are denied the right to plan their own families. And that includes being forced to have abortions or being sterilized against their will. If there is one message that echoes forth from this conference, Let it be that human rights are women's rights, and women's rights are human rights once and for all.
1: So this was the 1995 Women's UN Conference. It's been more than 25 years now since we heard that then First Lady Hillary Clinton delivered a thundering defense of women's rights, as human rights in Beijing, which eventually led to the landmark Beijing declaration. Still today, it is the most visionary and progressive blueprint for women's rights. And yet the fight for gender justice is still far from over. This time of the year, which is crucial to, for the women's rights agenda, we saw millions of women mobilizing just a few days ago on the occasion of 8th of March, uh, and that was all over the world. In this particular context, we are delighted about this postcard's very special guest. My name is Leticia Thyssen, I'm FEPS Gender Equality Policy Advisor, and I'm truly honored to be joined by the Assistant Secretary General and Deputy Executive Director of Human Women, Asa Hegner. Let me wish you a very warm welcome. Thank you so much. So you have been in your current function since May 2019. But before that, you served as, uh, as the Swedish Minister for Children, the Elderly and Gender Equality, where your focus was on concrete results in the implementation of Swedish gender equality policies, as well as the shift towards the prevention of violence against women and the involvement of men and boys uh, in gender equality work. You have extensive experience in the area of gender equality and women's empowerment, having held various leadership positions in government, NGO, and the United Nations. You've led important processes and campaigns as a leading advocate for feminism and gender equality in Sweden and beyond. Uh, You served as Director of Planning, uh, Ministry and Justice, as a political advisor in the Prime Minister's office, and you began your career in women's rights as a volunteer for Swedish NGO in Bolivia before moving to the Ministry of Labour working on gender and labour market issues for several years in the 90s. So we can safely say that gender equality has no secrets to you and we could simply not be in a better company to discuss women's rights advancements and challenges from a global perspective than with you. Thank you so much, that's very kind. (laughs) So, without further ado, I I would like to start with the very first question, uh, and that is very timely, as we are about to mark the the start of the UN's 65th um, CSW, uh, which stands for the Commission on the Status of Women, which is set set to take place from the 15th to the 26th of March 2021. The Commission, which is a a functional uh, commission of the UN, is a global policy-making body dedicated exclusively to promoting gender equality and the empowerment of women. But what is its mandate it precisely? uh, And
2: how does it work? Well, again, uh, it's an honor to be with you here today. And thanks for discussing the Commission on the Status of Women. Many might not know that the Commission on the Status of Women is actually the UN's second biggest meeting uh, after uh, the General Assembly. And if we had been able to do it in person, we would have anticipated around 20 to 30,000 people, mainly women, in New York for this meeting. So it's very connected to the speech that Miss Clinton gave that you uh, played for us. I was actually there. I don't know if that makes me experienced or just old, but anyway, (laughs) I was. And uh, the Commission on the Status of Women, its role is actually to follow up every year the decisions which were taken in Beijing in 1995 and see how far um, the UN member states have come in relation to those goals. And as we could hear the meeting, and I remember it very well since I was there, but also because I read uh, uh, the texts uh, over and over again. And it was a very progressive meeting. And the purpose of the agreements which were negotiated there was not only to have a list of important measures for gender equality. I mean, that's important enough. But the goal was actually to shift power from men towards women, for women and men to share power in society in many different ways. And the role of the Commission on the Status of Women is to, so to speak, uh, keep track of that. And UN Women's role is to function as uh, a secretariat to that, as a a facilitator, as a convener around it, as, uh, well, uh, arranging the meeting and making sure it's been implemented in a way that's good for the issues, uh, for people participating, for the member states and for the negotiations. And not least, civil society is a very important player at these meetings.
1: You very much uh, highlighted how special uh, this annual event is, and indeed, as you mentioned, it is the largest intergovernmental gathering, uh, bringing together thousands of people committed to gender equality from all over the world. So what, in your opinion, makes it uh, such a key moment for policymakers, advocates, researchers
2: and activists? Well, first of all, it's size and the fact that uh, the UN is convening it. And as you know, the UN has a great convening power. And uh, so that gives the importance and the status to the issues that it should. Another interesting feature with this particular commission, because there are other commissions as well on other topics, is that the Commission on the Status of Women is Always, as far as I know, at least on ministerial level, I have myself participated in different roles, maybe twelve times or something like that, uh, as a, an NGO representative, as a, a Swedish delegate. Uh, I have also led the Swedish delegation when I was a minister. I've been there as an expert, and now these last three years, I had the honour to um, to organize the meeting uh, in this role together with the rest of the of UN women and uh, the rest of the UN system. And I think that uh, the status, the fact that ministers lead their delegations and also actively take part uh, is an important feature uh, in relation to the agenda. However, when we take stock of the advancement in relation to those goals, which were negotiated and decided in Beijing, uh, we see that although governments have been rhetorically supportive, also taken legislative initiatives in terms of laws on violence against women, for example, to a much larger extent than 25 years ago, far too little has actually changed in reality. So we have a big gap between the rhetoric's perhaps the documents and reality. So the commission on the status of women is important, but it hasn't solved all the problems and governments have actually not lived up to the promises they made themselves in Beijing 25 years ago, or even 26 now.
1: Speaking of the of the challenges, we've seen the emergence of uh, significant gender backlashes all over the world, partly as a result of the, the rise of authoritarian regimes. We see the case of uh, Brazil, uh, previously under the Trump administration in the US, but also European countries like Poland uh, and Hungary. So this is a trend which has also been exacerbated uh, by the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, so how does this hinder the, the global effect? Efforts, uh, in achieving uh, gender equality objectives.
2: Yeah, thank you for that question. I think another, even another layer is also the lo- the past year with the COVID crisis, which we know has uh, affected women uh, more than men socioeconomically in terms of poverty, job loss, income loss, much more of care burden when children were sent home from clo- closed schools, etc., as well as violence levels increasing. We estimate that the violence from male partners towards women uh, has increased with 20 to 30 percent in the world this last year. So that combined with political resistance to gender equality that you're describing Uh, makes this task pretty tough. The good news, however, I'd like to say is that although there are governments and and movements mobilizing against gender equality and women's rights as they are laid down in Beijing, for example, uh, or in the uh, CEDAW, the Convention on Women's Rights, we see that the group of countries and governments which are in favor of gender equality and of doing more in relation to those Goals is a much bigger group than the group that is resisting. I think also, although from the UN side we want to treat all member st- states equally, obviously, but since the US is such an impactful country in the world and also in the UN, it's the host country, etc., it does matter that there is a n- now other kinds of goals for gender equality work in in the new U.S. administration. So your question about the resistance is is a, a, a very relevant one. And we see, for example, that during this last year, space for civil society and women's advocates to do what they need to has been shrinking sometimes in the name of COVID, although obviously that's an abuse, so to speak, of COVID uh, restrictions. But we also see much more of awareness that unless governments do something about these issues now, it will not only be bad for the implementation or the lack of implementation of women's rights and for women, it's also bad for societies. We need much more of socially sustainable societies and we know that women in leadership actually prioritize those issues. And that is the theme of the CSW, women's leadership in different spaces, in public spaces, political life and in civil society. So it's kind of all linked together.
1: Speaking of this, uh, this coalition of uh, feminist uh, governments, uh, if we may call them like that, what do you think would be the, the main foreseeable achievements for this year's uh, CSW?
2: Well, we have negotiations on, this, on the topic, which is women's leadership. And obviously, I hope for a progressive outcome of the meeting uh, with support for, for implementation of gender equality and some safeguarding of women's rights activists' uh, possibility and right to carry out their tasks. Um, support to increase uh, women's participation in parliament. At the moment, only 25% of all parliamentarians in the world are women, for example. So uh, I hope that we will reach uh, good outcomes uh, at this meeting. Although I also know that the, there is resistance to certain topics, not least sexual and reproductive health and rights, but also other issues like concept of families often comes up the notion of the concept gender, I know that's also debated within the European Union, as well actually as agreements on violence against women and the language around that which might surprise perhaps some uh, non-experts. But we hope it's the, the member states are the ones negotiating. But from UN Women's side, we obviously hope for a progressive outcome where there can be good agreements also around those issues.
1: Thank you for that answer. And uh, perhaps uh, this would bring us to the next next question, because you, you also mentioned that uh, the CSW is quite exceptional in the sense that uh, it is led by the ministers. And we also know that this year is a very particular year, uh, because uh, they, they certainly won't be, be able to meet in, uh, in the same uh, format as it normally is uh, due to the pandemic. Uh, and everything, uh, or most of it, is moving online. Uh, so where do you see uh, the biggest uh, challenges in nevertheless uh, meeting uh, the the objectives in spite of the the current circumstances
2: no i think that last year we were supposed to celebrate the beijing uh, meeting plus twenty five years and and to do that stock taking that i talked about but we had to well cancel the meeting in the form we know it because of the pandemic that was a year ago exactly and i personally had to uh, we got a lot of help from uh, UN lawyers and others because we didn't even know how to do that it had never happened before and it was of course necessary to do that it was a a very sad thing because it is such a necessary meeting so this year we are doing the meeting but online and it's the first time in history that such a big meeting UN meeting will actually be held completely uh, with exception for the first hour where New York-based missions will be Physically there. So I'm happy we can have the meeting and the discussions because I think that's much needed coming out of the COVID crisis. But I'm concerned that or I regret that we can't meet in person because specifically, I think, for the women's movement to meet with governments. That is very, you know, highly desired both by them and by us experts, because we know that civil society is so important to push the agenda. And they come up with a, you know, with very clever suggestions and proposals on how to solve things. And so we regret that these Physical meetings can't happen, but we're trying to do what we can so that that can be incorporated in the digital format, although it will be limited compared to everybody being in New York.
1: So this year might indeed be slightly uh, different uh, compared to other years, but nevertheless, being at the CSW, uh, usually always uh, uh, always offers a, a very special feeling and an atmosphere that is fueled with uh, much enthusiasm, hope uh, and also strong calls coming from all the, the women's rights organizations uh, that you mentioned from all over the world. Uh, we've also before heard the speech uh, uh, by Hillary Clinton that you witnessed yourself, uh, but yeah. besides this example, uh, could you also share with us what would be the most uh, striking or memor- memorable moment uh, that, uh, that you lived uh, during in the CSW, and that in, in your opinion, made a historic improvement for gender equality. You mean throughout
2: the years or, or what I am what I anticipate this year? Over the past editions. Well, I think in it is in general, I think the the great variety of gender equality activists and experts, and their uh, you know, the, the interactions that they have with governments. But you can really, when you're interested in gender equality, you can meet with um, women from minority groups, you know, who raise a certain topic that you might not have, you know, come across otherwise, both big and, you know, very well known topics and those who are not uh, so much to the rest of the world. So I I think that that's what I always remember, that uh, enormous, um, well, the energy, but also the knowledge and the caring about the issue, if I may say so, the engagement that not least uh, women's rights advocates show. And also many women rights advocates live dangerous lives for talking about the things that we you and I are discussing now. In some countries, uh, women are harassed or detained or even killed for caring. out this agenda, and meetings obviously with them, and uh, I try to always safeguard to meet with, with those who um, need the meeting the most? If you see what I mean, <laughs> in those uh, who who come from those contexts, that is always very memorable to me. And but also a great. Uh, it gives me. It fuels my engine <laughs> to to go further because it's really about them. You can also meet, uh, you know, representatives of women in 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 the toughest uh, war zones. Women from Yemen, Libya, Syria, uh, etc who can tell you themselves what they are going through. And I think that that is very memorable. That is uh, that is really what this meeting is about, to yeah. to, to understand each other.
1: Perhaps to follow up on, uh, on what you mentioned here, because much has been said about what is happening in the headquarters in New York during that week. But if we bring it to a more tangible level, how does the work of the CSW ac- actually affect women's uh, everyday and real lives? Uh, that's
2: an excellent question. And this, year since we're going online we have encouraged governments to you know localize uh the commission on the status of women this year and to organize events in their countries you know and and if possible obviously covid safe but if possible you know facilitate meetings in a way that so that you narrow the gap between civil society and and governments um so um uh, so Uh, So that is is one effect. And and when I was a minister myself, I used to brief civil society before I left for New York and I briefed them when I came back on the results. Also, there are negotiations going on and they are kind of setting targets for, you know, how to to, um, proceed uh, with gender equality in the world. And those uh, negotiations, the the result of the negotiations uh, should be implemented in the countries. And that is kind of uh, the purpose of them. So it has, I think, both a normative impact, but it also, I think, has, it creates a lot of attention to the issues and the work that courageous women do. Now, you
1: come from a country that has been one of the front runners uh, in uh, implementing feminist foreign policy, for instance. Uh, so how do you also think that uh, the work of the CSW affects decision, decision-making bodies, uh, or how does it help them uh, and encourage them to pursue feminist policies at other levels of governance, uh, from the local to the national, or even European endeavors? Well, it
2: it should, because a a big purpose of this meeting is for, you know, the the minister goes to New York uh, to brief uh, the Commission on the Status of Women on developments in relation to gender equality. So civil society listens to that speech or those contributions in different uh, events and can then hold the government accountable saying you promised in new york you would do this or that or you said in new york uh, we've come to this level but really we see that we're you know somewhere else so 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 that interaction is really important uh, in itself and i also see that throughout the years the, i think the importance And the attraction of the Commission on the Status of Women has um, increased. I saw that in spite of of my home country, Sweden being one of the countries that rank the highest in terms of gender equality, feminists from my country still wanted to be present in New York. And, uh, you know, they felt very inspired by solutions, proposals they heard from other countries, although we had come far. Uh, So um, I think that from a European perspective, uh, the current EU Commission has come out with a strategy for gender equality not long ago. and, And we are in frequent contact with the EU Commissioner for Gender Equality and other commissioners. That is very inspiring to the rest of the world. But it also means that after the CSW... Um, The EU countries need to see the conclusions in the light of what they are already doing and then fill gaps if they're not complying or if even the EU strategy is not complying with uh, the outcome of the meeting. So it's kind of corresponding uh, sources of of, uh, information or decisions.
1: Well, mm. uh, In this regard, and also perhaps linking with the various challenges that you mentioned earlier in terms of uh, uh, access to sexual uh, health and reproductive rights, um, we've, also, we've also witnessed quite some uh, positive examples uh, that do give us hope and here, namely thinking of the example of uh, Argentina that, uh, that legalized yes. abortion uh, uh, not so long ago. So in, in your view, what have been the most positive developments, generally speaking, uh, from a global perspective?
2: Well, those are good examples. We have some examples of of positive developments when it comes to sexual and reproductive health and rights, although it is unfortunately not a global trend. But we have examples, and they are very inspiring and important, as you say. We do see, as I mentioned before, much better and more legislation in, in relation to violence against women. Uh, with which also come with training for police, for example, or training for judicial systems, packages uh, of that sort. We know that as many as 90 countries in the world actually have some kind of provision for both mothers and fathers to be at home with their small children, on paper at least. Uh, so all of those things are very positive. We know that they drive change. We also know that countries, many countries have introduced quota legislation or special measures, as we call them, in relation to women's participation, uh, political participation. We know that uh, before COVID, female genital mutilation was going down, as well as child marriages. Unfortunately, that seems to be going the wrong direction again. Uh, But I think What is important to understand with these trends is that I think it is about political awareness, sometimes political will, but not always, but political awareness that as a leader of this country, I need to pay attention to this and I need to do more. I need to comply. But there is unfortunately too little political will to finance the reforms and to create systems for implementation. So the positive things would be the rhetorics, the reforms, legislation, and this exchange on gender equality. But the negative side of the same thing is that uh, reforms don't come with money and they don't come with Plan for implementation. So that
1: means that, uh, in spite of uh, all the the political discourses, um, there is still much uh, much work to be done. Uh, so our work uh, is uh, is not over yet. But nevertheless, uh, we we need to hang on the the few. Uh, Positive examples uh, to keep us uh, going in our fight for for gender equality. Uh, and now that brings us uh, to uh, to the last question that I would like to, to ask you before before we, we wrap up uh, this uh, this exchange, uh, because many of us, um, as uh, advocates uh, or uh, um, um, activists in the field of uh, of women's uh, women's rights, we look up to uh, people like you for for being uh, such a uh, uh, women's rights uh, defender but who who actually are the feminist figures that you uh, would admire uh, and um, and what would be the, the reason for that?
2: <laughs> well good question I think that my uh, those I look up to would actually be women who live in conflict and war zones and who live in very dangerous settings and uh, still take on uh, you know the advocacy for other women and girls rights. And they do that knowing that it might uh, even come with a risk for their own life, but they still struggle. Those are my, um, those are my role models and uh, those um, uh, they are also those I would like to serve uh, in my role and my work at UN Women because I know they can really change things so that's, uh, that's who I think of to uh, uh, be inspired myself. Mm.
1: Well, this leaves us on a very inspiring note. Uh, so let me wholeheartedly thank you for your insights, uh, for this very open exchange, for taking the time in what is certainly an extremely intense period of the year for you. And of course, we wish you a very successful CSW
2: well thank you so much for having me and I think that uh, Europe's role and the EU role is always very very important in this, uh, in this context so thanks so much for having me and, and I look forward to continue the dialogue
1: to our listeners uh, if you like this conversation do not hesitate to share it on social media and join us in uh, hammering the message that women's rights are human rights thank you very much thank you
2: so much
0: for having me Thank you for your attention. If you found our conversation interesting, do not hesitate to share it on social media with the hashtag Talks. More is yet to come, stay tuned!